Welcome to episode nine of Lime Ninja Radio. I'm your host, McKay Rippey, and back with us in the studio this week is Aurora. Hi, folks. And I just have to let you know that without Aurora on the show, nobody listened. And that's just about a fact. Uh, our listenership went way down. So, Aurora, whatever I'm paying you, uh, it's not enough. Obviously. Very funny. <laughs> So you dropped your sister off at school last week, right? I did drop my sister off at school, And everything yeah. went okay? Everything went fine. I was the pack mule to get all of her stuff into her apartment, so she's so all set. She's all. She's the brains of the operation. Apparently. And you're the work, huh? Something the like muscle. that. All right. So the other thing we missed last week was ninja facts. So do you have a lime ninja fact for us today? I do. Our fact of the day is, a ninja once went skydiving, but then promised to never do it again. One Grand Canyon is enough. Ba-dum-chick. Ba-dum-bum-chick. I bet you didn't know that ninjas created the Grand Canyon. <laughs> All right. Well, this week's guest is Mara Williams. And, Aurora, please tell us something about Mara. Sure. Um, Mara Williams is a board-certified nurse practitioner. Uh, with 30 years as a healthcare provider, Mara has developed an expertise in functional nutritional medicine, blending pharmaceuticals with nutraceuticals, and utilizing science and nutrition to its best advantage to get the optimal effect and outcome. She is a Lyme patient advocate, a speaker, and au- the author of Nature's Dirty Needle, and founder of the Inanna House, an inpatient facility for people with chronic illness. Uh, she is dedicating to helping those who have suffered from Lyme and other tick-borne-associated diseases. Great, thanks. And just as a little side note there, nutraceutical is a fancy word. It basically means vitamins and supplements, but you can have subtle shadings there. But anyway, that's what a nutraceutical is. Let's jump right in with our interview. You're a busy lady. <laughs> I am, sorry. <laughs> no, it's not a problem. I usually do phone consults on Monday, but someone is homebound and needed a visit, so. Oh. Yeah. Line sucks, right? Uh, that's what I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> do you have Lyme? Uh, a very mild case. I was extraordinarily lucky. So. Well, if things start to get worse, there are some really good herbal protocols you can use. You know, yeah. I've been putting myself on and off them anyway, so <laughs> I'm taking no chances, I think. I think it's good, you know, especially consider if, you know, you, some kind of stressor, huge stressor happens. Yeah, yeah. Really good to get back on, on treatment after that. Yep, I if, these bugs are definitely opportunistic. They are little little boogers, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And as Stephen Buehner says, we need to learn to live with them. So a- answer me a question. Mm-hmm. So what happened to, I'm going to say doctor, but I mean as a nurse practitioner too, what happened to uh, the clinical ability to make a decision in the office and do what you thought was best for the patient? Where did that go? 
it went by the wayside when the insurance companies started controlling the healthcare system. Which was, when do you think that was? It started around 92, 93. Ah, yep. And, and it got progressively more intense as time went on and things got tighter and tighter. Um, in the last few years, we've, we've been shackled. Yeah. Right, doctors don't get to make any decisions. It's all up to the, the approval of the insurance company. Brutal. And I, if people aren't willing to pay outside of that determination, then they don't get the care they need. Right. Anyway, yeah, it, but it started to get progressively worse. I think started about the 90s when we first came out with, the eight- you know, the, the big uh, push on HMOs. Yep. I really noticed it in home care. We had an uh, incredible home care system in this country for the longest time. And around 92, 93, uh, the government sent the FBI out, right? Really? The FBI to audit home cares around the country and started finding right and left for quote unquote fraud. Wow. And um, things just got worse and worse and worse. Now, in hospice, for example, you can't use the diagnosis stability and decline on someone who's dying just because their body doesn't want to stay alive anymore. Mm-hmm. You have to have a diagnosis like congestive heart failure or cancer or something. You have to have a hard, cold diagnosis now. You can't just fit these parameters. They just And, and you can't get oxygen for people unless they have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or lung cancer. You're kidding no, I'm not. You can, if, if people used to be with Medicare, which set the standard for everybody, yep. that if your oxygen saturation was 88% or less, you qualified for insurance paid oxygen at home. Yeah. Now you can't get it. <laughs> wow. So it's a, it's, I've been resisting uh, taking insurance now my entire career and uh, the more and more it goes this way, the more and more convinced I am. I'd rather take a chicken or five bucks than to have anybody else in between me and the patient. That's the only way to operate anymore. Yeah. And it does, it does limit things because there are people who say, well, I paid once for my care. I ain't going to pay for it again as they go off, right. As they go off on their boat on their second home kind of thing. So, yeah. Right. It's, it's, and it's very sad because I think anybody over the age of, I don't know, 40, 45, has been thoroughly indoctrinated into the culture of our healthcare system. And they believe in it until they get so sick and the system turns against them, like with Lyme. Um, and, and they can't understand it. You know, they have all these symptoms and they feel so terrible and their doctors are telling them it's all in their head and to go see the psychiatrist and go on antidepressants and they're just devastated. They don't understand it. Then, then they get double whammy when they have to come see somebody like me and pay cash. Right. But they don't understand that if we stayed in the system, we would be beholden to that system. We couldn't do what we do. Right. Right. So no, it's not. You can't take so many doctors are opting out now. It's pretty great. I, it's the only way to shut the system down. Thirty <laughs> percent average profit in an insurance company is thirty percent. So, are you there? I am. I'm just oh, shak- okay. shaking my head. You can't see it. Should have said <laughs> something. 
And of course, for the pharmaceutical companies, as an acupuncturist, you don't prescribe the pharmaceuticals. But here, what I'm seeing is they're they're taking a drug that they've had on the market forever and ever and ever. Probably it costs them pennies to make a pill, right? Hmm. And for example, um, my daughter who's on Medicare um, from the line six months ago. First of all, Medicare will only pay for half of her Ativan dose, right? So the other half we have to cover. So that half used to be $11 a month. Then it went up to $30 a month. Now it's up to $56 a month for nothing. And they did the same thing to doxycycline when they realized how much of it was being used. They created a shortage and six to eight months later came back with doxycycline and instead of it costing Twenty or thirty dollars a month. It costs three hundred dollars a month. When and they're I was, doing this with all kinds of medicine. Yeah, when I was in acupuncture school, our our one of the founders was very interested in the politics of medicine, and he kept on citing a study by the insurance companies. Uh, this would have been in the the early 90s. He said the future of medicine is going to be acute care centers, and then they're going to be people in the neighborhood providing care. It's people like you, people like me, kind of under the radar and neighborhood people. And the more and more this happens, it really seems that's the way it's going to be. Well, the whole system is geared toward a, a, a person in crisis. Right. It isn't geared to look at the underlying root cause, which you do and I do. It isn't true healthcare. It's crisis management. So, and pharmaceutically driven. Absolutely. It's a curative drug. Yeah. No curative drug on the market. No. Exists. No. Well, I tell people, you know, you come, you go to a surgeon, you get surgery, you go to a physician, you get drugs, and you come to an acupuncturist, and you get needles. <laughs> we, we but all... you also, so don't you, you work with herbs and things? Uh, I do uh, for herbs, uh, basic nutrition, of course, all the lifestyle stuff and turn off the TV, go to bed, the usual. So, Have abs- you read any of Buner's books? Not yet. I'm, I'm kind of, one, one reason I'm doing, I've got two purposes for doing this, these interviews. A is to help g- just give another platform to get the word out. Mm-hmm. Um, and B is to educate myself. So I'm just dipping my toes in the Lyme disease world. I've been practicing acupuncture for 20 years, but just kind of got introduced to acupuncture last fall uh, when I did a workshop uh, with a friend of mine who's an acupuncturist and become a bit of a specialist. So this is, yeah, I'm, I can't read fast enough. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's, you know, it's, it's really, I, I I admire Stephen Buhner. He's one of my heroes. Um, five of us, there's six providers, soon to be seven at Gordon Medical. And five of us went last November and spent a weekend in a really lovely setting in, in Anderson Valley in Northern California, not too far from where I am now. Um, spent the weekend with him. And he, not only is he an incredible herbalist, probably one of the top five in the world, but he's a storyteller, and he brings this world of of bacteria and parasites and plants to to uh to life and he he talks about how 
the plant's service and how they adapt in, 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 a, in an environment where the bacteria change, which they do all the time in these line with the co-infections with Borrelia and all the other co-infections, constantly communicating, constantly adapting and changing, and the plants know that and change accordingly. So there's always something out there in that plant kingdom that serves whatever population needs help to help them be better, but the goal is not eradication. The goal is is, is it's showing some respect, first of all, for these bacteria that have been around for three and a half billion years. <laughs> and, and Stephen talks about even virus as sentient. I mean, that's a concept. Dr. Dr. Nathan looked at me. We were all sitting together and goes, I've never thought of a virus as being alive before. You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a whole different look at things. And when you read, especially, I, the first book, I, two books I would recommend are his two latest, the one on mycoplasma and Bartonella and the one on the antivirus. Um, they cover pretty much all the nutrients and all the herbs that anybody would need to get better. And Stephen picks herbs that are invasive species because they have more potency and strength to them. Interesting. Not just in lowering the population, but in all the other properties that they have. For example, cordyceps and Chinese skullcap is anti-inflammatory. Will literally stop a cytokine storm. Hmm. You know, so if you stop that storm and if you stop inflammation, you stop proliferation, basically. It's funny. On my farm, the most invasive species is burdock. Do you know burdock? I do not well, though. Burdock... um, Burdock. I have to look it up. The Koreans use the Koreans use the root. Uh, it, it sequesters iron in the soil is one of the things it does. So it's a little bit like maca or ginseng as a. I'm not sure it's an adaptogen officially, but it's sort of like that. But it's it has this massive leaves and the seed pods are were the inspiration for developing Velcro. They hook onto you. They're these little balls that hook onto you. And it just, once it gets established, it just crowds everything out. When I first got here, my Mennonite neighbors uh, gave me a machete. (laughs) said, here, I think you'll need this. (laughs) For the burdock. For the burdock, yeah. Wow. Well, what, you know, if you you follow along with philosophy, the burdock is telling people in your area that they need to pay attention to it. Yeah. That, that, that that plant has something to offer the people in your area. And it's interesting. I have a friend, friends who live in North Vancouver, and she was telling me that the government just spent thousands of dollars eradicating Japanese knotweed out of their woods. And it's like, oh, my God, you're kidding. It is one of the most incredible herbs to use for Lyme and all the co-infections. I mean, it's antiviral. It's anti, you know, the, the intracellular bacteria serves them as mycoplasma, chlamydia pneumonia, and Lyme. I mean, it, it, it goes through, crosses the blood-brain barrier. It supports the immune system. I mean, it's a miraculous plant. And they were, they used poisons to kill friends <laughs> when I hear these things, you know, it's like, what are we doing to our planet? But, um, Stephen feels that what you want to do is you want to, of course, support the body, which is a lot what you do in your practice, rebuild the immune system, rebuild the gut, 
get the detox pathways working, handle the nervous system. Um, we have, a, a, unfortunately, way too many patients that go to medical whose nervous systems are wide open, and we have a really hard time shutting them down. And and so he calls those shutting the, the sensory gates in the nervous system, but and because they react to everything because of it, and and building up the immune system and first decreasing the inflammation so you can get your own immune system back from the bugs because the bugs have stolen it for their own benefit. So recapturing our own immune system for our own benefit and lowering the population of whatever infections are present in your body, but not eradicating them and learning to have a dialogue and relationship with them. Because eradication is impossible. They're too smart. They are, aren't they? Yes, they are. They create biofilm, they change shapes, they do whatever they have to do to survive. And mycoplasma goes right into the cell and breaks open the mitochondria and steals all your energy from you. You know, I mean, how how perfect is that for them? <laughs> you know, and and uh, so it's, it's, it's having a dialogue and it really changed. I'll tell you, when I first started to get into Lyme, which wasn't so long ago, it was at the tail end of even integrative medicine focusing on antibiotic therapy as the primary therapy and then using other integrative pieces to complement it and maybe to clean up after it. But the focus of the primary treatment was always IV or oral antibiotics and other pharmaceuticals. And that went on. I mean, even Dr. Anderson has been an MD for, you know, 35 years and started working with Lyme disease way, way long ago. He was on the phone with Joe Boroscano in the beginning. Antibiotics was the only thing they did. And so to go from that and, and do this entire turnaround, I got in. I started getting involved in this uh, world right when that shift started to happen. I couldn't have gotten in at a better time. Because I wasn't ingrained, you know, I wasn't ingrained in that. Got to give antibiotics and then do all these other things. So, what got you and interested really, in Lyme disease? Well, the the integrative doctor I was working with before I went to Gordon Medical decided her daughter came down with Lyme, and she it turned out after I left her that she discovered she probably had Lyme all her life. She grew up in Massachusetts, um, but uh, she said we're going to do Lyme disease now, and everything that. Ellie did, I did. I had to learn because we were that kind of office where people would see me and her, you know. It wasn't just like at Gordon Medical, um, people will come see me and I'm their primary provider at the clinic, although they can see other people in the clinic, they their care goes through me, right? Mm-hmm. Or it'll go through somebody else. We don't share, although people share, they, it's not the same kind of concept as Ellie had in her office where it was one practice and there were people that only came to see me because they liked me better, but, you know, it, it was a shared practice. Gordon Medical isn't like that. It, it, and um, it made it hard to develop a practice there because people didn't just say, oh, here, see this person for me kind of thing. They're doing that more now. I, I will do that, especially for pain management with the um, naturopathic doctors who can't prescribe. I will do the pain management piece for them. But um, it it it's... It's uh, the integrated piece became the core, has become the core of treatment now, except for an acute infection, which you separate completely differently, like yours was compared to the chronic. And um, and we look at that. We're looking at ozone. We're doing a lot of ozone. We're looking at it not as a cleanup 
piece, but as a full-on treatment piece to be used like with the herbs or some antibiotics. We're adding silver to IV antibiotics if people are using them. We're adding silver to them because it potentiates the effect. And we're just doing a lot of really different things than we ever did before. And it's really exciting. It is. So (laughs) tell me, let's segue a little bit here. Tell me about your book, Nature's Dirty Needle. Nature's Dirty Needle. I was sitting the first year that my daughter was clear she had chronic Lyme. Um, we, we sent her to Dr. Nathan at, at Gordon Medical. He saw her. And back then, this was even, what, four years ago, the first thing we did with her was give her rifampin for Bartonella. She has really bad Bartonella, painful, painful joints. Feels like her bones are breaking kind of pain. And so he started her on uh, once a day rifampin, and she did okay. So he said, okay, go to two doses. Well, for whatever reason, adding that second dose of rifampin triggered her entire body, and it went crazy. It, it flipped. The nervous system flipped. The immune system flipped. And all of a sudden, she couldn't tolerate anything, and she started throwing up all the time. She'd always thrown up, but this got worse, and she'd get into this, like, hyper, what they call hyperemesis, where she couldn't stop vomiting, and she'd get dehydrated, and we have to take her to the ER. Well, in the first year before we got a pick line in her, she was in the ER 17 times. Oh, brutal. We required hospitalization seven of those times, once for two weeks, and they did nothing for her disease. All they did was give her symptom management, kept her hydrated, kept her pain down, kept her nausea, you know, kept her from vomiting, and as soon as she stabilized and could take the bits in her home, they wouldn't touch the Lyme disease. They called her test a false positive. Oh, you're kidding. I am not. So we're going through this, well... About the seventh time I was sitting in the ER, and these young, I don't know about your area, but we have these hot young doctors that are just out of their internships, and they do rotations through the ER, and they work as hospitalists in the hospital, you know, two, three-day shifts. And these arrogant guys, you know, they would look at my daughter and say, this is all in your head. You're doing this to yourself. Your mother is impeding your care by telling us you have Lyme disease. It doesn't exist. You don't have Lyme disease. And, you know, I mean, hammering on her and um, asking me if she'd seen a psychiatrist yet. One of the doctors actually kicked me out of the ER once because he wanted to talk to her alone. And, you know, after the seventh time sitting there, I just went, I got to do something. And I decided I had, I had no, I'd always known since the early 90s I had this doesn't happen to me a lot, but once in a while, I will have, like, visions of things. And I realized when I saw it, it was a collective vision of a healing center where everybody would sit at the table together and come up with a plan for each person that would find the root cause of their problem and work to correct it. And I didn't realize it would take online until I was sitting in the ER and went, oh, this is what my treatment center is, my healing center is supposed to be. So I went to a friend of mine who is um, really good in business and, and, and she's, she can draw people to her. She's just amazing. She's one of the board of directors right now. Zoe Sexton is her name. And I said, Zoe, I want to do, I want to do all this stuff. And she said, well, first you have to write a book. <laughs> she said, you have to have clout. You have to go out, you know, you can't just go out the millions of dollars without having some kind of expertise behind you that people can identify. Brilliant so, advice. 
it was very good advice. So I, I wrote, and I did it <laughs> way too fast. I, I was on a deadline with this publishing company. I wrote the book in three months. Wow. And um, the intent for it was to be a primer for people who, one, didn't know what they had, were struggling to find out what it was going on with them, which for many people, it's, you know, 20 to 50 providers before they meet someone like me or our clinic. Yeah. And and um, they could figure it out. And for families of people who refuse to get it, because with these infections and the illness that can strike people, you don't get it till you do. And when you do, you really get it. Right. So I tried my 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 ultimate goal in writing the book, besides gaining some clout out there in the world so that I could build my healing center, was to help people understand what their loved one was experiencing and be supportive to it rather than undermine it. To help them get it. <laughs> you know? And and that was the whole purpose of the book. So it's evolved. Obviously, I, I'm, I actually should be uh, this summer rewriting it. I am. I, I will um, shortly begin to sit down and working on an investment portfolio to present to potential uh, investors. Once I get that piece done, then all of my energy is going to be devoted to rewriting Nature's Dirty Needle. I've probably got 20 more stories to filter through and I, pick and choose. And I want to do more on detoxification and some of the alternative treatments that we're now working on and the herbal therapies that we're using to help uh, people with and just have a bigger section on all of those things, you know, rather than how, how, how light it is in the current book. But other, but I want to keep the core of the book the same. I want it to be there for people who don't understand what's going on, who need to understand it. Because it's just such a huge disconnect. That's it. It is such a huge disconnect, and I every conversation I have involves a variation on the theme, but essentially is the doctors putting the cart before the horse, and they think that the reason why uh, people are having trouble is because they're crazy and not because they've been made crazy because they're struggling so much with a horrible disease. It just, it just doesn't make sense to me. These- it doesn't. And you'd think all these smart people, I mean, they got through med school and everything else. How can they be so ignorant? You know, that's, I, I'm constantly just awestruck even now. Um, that people could be so ignorant and so uncaring. There's and a, it feels fear-based to me. It feels really fear-based. It, it, it's absolutely ego and fear, and it's it's just a strange crossroads of, of influence. And Lyme disease, there's this concept in mathematics calls a strange attractor with these fancy uh, – uh, complex equations and essentially what happens is the the different solutions for these fancy equations all group around a point and it's like Lyme disease is one of these strange attractors if there's something wrong in the world Lyme disease will attract it whether it's systemic in a human being or whether it's systemic in a medical community it's like the Lyme disease will bring that problem to the surface and the arrogance and all what you've you've talked about comes to the surface around Lyme disease. It is strange. 
It, it is a huge trigger. And it's interesting to see, you're on the East Coast where Lyme is basically recognized. It's huh. not treated properly. Yeah, but they it's know not. It's no, there. it's not. It's not. But it, they, know, they know it's there. They just no, don't know what's there. No. But you, I can't tell you how many times we hear here from people. The doctor I went to at UCSF told me that there is no Lyme in California. We, I, an hour from me, I just my the the woman who runs the support group was told, and this was within a couple of years ago. Her doctor basically pounded his fist on the table. We have no Lyme here, and across the street <laughs> at the vet's office, they were diagnosing dogs with Lyme day in and day out. It's it's See, that that shocks me because at least the the few doctors that I've talked to on the East Coast when I was at Robbie's acknowledged it they just didn't agree with the treatment yeah no there i think there's still pockets it's not uniform at all wow it's but well, it's, it's really if you take that and magnify it a million times here on the on the west coast i spoke with a woman in sweden who had contracted lyme disease she thinks about 25 years ago mm-hmm. and it took 25 years to finally get a, a, a test a western blot and a diagnosis through hygienics, probably. You know, I d- didn't ask her what lab that they did the test through, but it's just, it's it's not an East Coast problem. It's not a Lyme, Connecticut problem. It's- well, no, it's worldwide. There's no question about that. It is, I, we have, there are people, Australian patients that think they have Lyme, send their blood to hygienics. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I just find that fascinating. So now, with hygienics, the only test I like to run there is the Western blot for Borrelia. I don't like doing the co-infection tests there because they're so unreliable. Yeah. It is impossible to get a positive Bartonella test yep. that's reliable. Yeah. Impossible. Yeah. And that, that's the other piece that makes it so hard. And when you look at the IDSA's treatment guidelines, they totally ignore the co-infections. So they don't just under-treat Borrelia, they ignore the co-infections. Well, somebody once invented penicillin, and now uh, bacteria are no longer a problem. Didn't you get the memo? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 it's it, uh, unbelievable to me when you have a conversation with some healthcare professional who is not Lyme literate, and you talk about the thousands of stories that you've heard, and you talk about the, the similarity in symptoms and um, everything they look at you with this blank look. It's just like it's like their eyes glaze over and they're nobody's home anymore. Well, they just don't want to hear it. They they don't. the The good news, the same thing, kind of happened with acupuncture. There were enough physicians who got interested in acupuncture for various reasons that they finally turned the tide amongst physicians, and now it's no longer publicly bashed. They may do it behind private uh, in, in their clubs or whatnot, but not not out in public anymore. And it took a long time. And th- the same thing is happening with nutrition. So if uh, doctors are having problems that aren't being solved through their regular channels, through their friends, and then they start doing the research and they say, oh, my goodness, there's this whole body of research where I was never taught. Maybe there is something to food. And I think the same yeah. thing will happen to Lyme. There will be enough doctors eventually. You know, they go out in the woods like everybody else. They're going to get Lyme, too. And they're not going to be satisfied feeling miserable. And they're going to start 
advocating. Now, it may take some time, but it it can't stay the way it is. No, it can't. It's that hundredth monkey thing. Well, and 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 the fact that it is so pandemic, it it um, it will it it will shift. Consciousness is shifting. So, with the shifting consciousness, this will shift too. But um, I I I think it will take that. You know, I call this creating a new paradigm in healthcare, and I really believe it is. And I think the Lyme community is the perfect community to. Um, Used to initiate a new healthcare system. Have you talked? Have you? Do you know Jenny Rush? I know the name. She's she's one of my friends on Facebook, and and uh, I may have spoken to her a few years ago. I I can't remember. I know she's aware of my project of Anana House, and um, is very supportive of it. She is also very interesting. Interesting. She's very interesting, and she's very interested in. Uh, shifting the paradigm and has some ideas about that. And she would be a good contact at some point. Uh, if, okay. if, if yeah. you go down that road, she really is quite fabulous. And, oh, cool. and I have one last question for you. And this is my impossible question because Lyme disease and the co-infections are so broad, but I'm going to ask you this to help people focus on one thing. It can get overwhelming with all the different therapies and detoxing and uh, co-infections. But So here's, here's the impossible question. What's the one most important strategy for dealing with Lyme disease? <laughs> I know it's right. Let me, let me qualify. I was going to say, let me qualify this right here, right now at this particular second on this particular day, you can change your answer at any time. I won't hold you to it. Um, what's the most important thing in terms of treatment? The strategy, uh, any, anything, strategy. any strategy for dealing with it, whether it's treatment it, or emotional or okay, mental well, or so that gives me a lot of leeway i can say several things into one strategy for treatment is restoring the body's functions to support the body rather than the, the infections rather than the bugs and lowering the population of the bugs at the same time which is what i've been talking about the whole day but if i had to pick the, the most important thing it would be detoxification Oh, but then there's diet. <laughs> it's hard. You can't. How, how do you do one thing? It's so complex. It's, people's diets, most of them have to change. Yeah. You know? I, um, I, I do know. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, I, I think the greatest challenge the longer you are infected is the ability to detox and get everything out of the body that needs to be gotten out of the body. Okay, so let me ask. Uh, let me. I'm tr- I'm trying to formulate this question to, to uh, as a way to wrap up, and I have not found the right question yet. And obviously, I started out with three things, and I got thirty. I starting, and I was tried one for the past three interviews, and that bombed too. So, uh, let me, <laughs> I like what you said. So you you said what's the what, so I'm going to ask it this way: What's the greatest challenge that people with Lyme disease face? Um, is restoring the, the, the quote, normal, optimal functioning of their body so their body supports them rather than hurt them. That's brilliant. So say it one more time. Okay. Restoring the, the functions of the body optimally 
so that they support the person rather than hurt them. So, for example, you have you have poor detoxification, right? It's like, um, and and so you do all this treatment, and you get sicker and sicker and sicker because nothing is leaving the body. The the die off and the neurotoxins and everything just keep circulating over and over and over again because the liver doesn't know what to do, and the you know, and it just and and the lymph system doesn't know what to do. You just got to get these things moving. So you've got to get those things moving. It's really important. So you've got to restore detoxification pathways. Right? You have to get that stuff out. You have to get your immune system back from the from the bugs. You have to. They have basically over time stolen your the, the systems in your body that are designed to support you in illness to recover. They have stolen from you, so you don't have those systems to assist you anymore. So you have to restore them. You have to rebuild your immune system so it knows what it's doing again. You you have to have a calm a nervous system that can, you know, be calm if it needs to be calm. And you you have your hormones have to be balanced, and your gut has to be healed, and your liver has to work well. You have to be able to get rid of these things. So if you do all that, you probably almost don't have to do anything else. The body will take care of it. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And that's the whole goal of a non-house. That's the, that's going to be the focus. Where can people it's, find out about a non-house? Well, we have a website, anonhouse.org. We're on Facebook, which will leap into the website. We do this really cool thing too. I don't know. Have you seen it? Have you actually gone to the website? I'm looking at it right now. Okay, so we do um, we do the Lime Artist of the Month. We've been doing it now for over a year, and we showcase some just incredibly beautiful, amazing, creative, talented people who are struggling with this illness. One of the things that I say in my investment portfolio to potential large donors is, you know, we have doctors and lawyers and and, and artists and 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 you know all these amazing, gifted, talented people who came here to do incredible magical things for this planet who are so sick they can't lift their head off the pillow. You know, it's like we need these people to make our world a better place. So we need to help these people get their lives back so they can help do what they're supposed to do. And that's in nanahouse.org, I-N-A-N-N-A. Dot org. House.org. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And I also have a, a website too, but not a house. It's the most important, and it will guide you to all the others. And I do a blog occasionally. I've been remiss lately with everything going on, but um, I have written a few blogs on. What's your website? To, Why don't you just throw it out there? It's um, marawilliams.net. Okay. And you're on Facebook too. Yes. You're everywhere. I'm everywhere. I never thought, I never, uh, who would have thunk it five years ago? I'll tell you, not me. <laughs> well, like but, when you had your vision, you, you had the vision. And all of a sudden, did. all the steps you need to take became real clear, right? Yep. And I took them and, and did it. And, um, you know, I keep saying to everybody, because I know it is, I knew it was when I had it, it is a collective vision. And it will take this village to build this. It will. This is not something I can do on my own. 
You know, it's 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 a collective. Just... And I'll tell you a great quick story, which I don't know was shared anywhere, but we did the when we were doing the five hundred one c three, we tried to do it inexpensively because we don't, I don't have a lot of money and. And we hired, you know, we did paid legals in to help us. Well, they kept sending it back. This looks like a hospital. You need to do this. You need it. And I kept saying, no, it's not a hospital. And nothing was happening. So uh, someone in the Lion community did an Indiegogo campaign for us, raised $17,000. And with that money, we hired a, a 501-3C lawyer specialist. And we completed the application on, and mailed it on July 29th of last year to the IRS. We were told in September it would be at least a year and a half before anybody would ever look at it. Well, in the talks that I did, when I heard that, I went, no, that can't, that, no, that's not going to happen. We're going to get it sooner than that. And I was down at iLabs in San Diego last year, and I know, I really do believe there's a connection to this, but I haven't, I don't know for sure, but I put it out there when I was talking about Anana House at the Lime Rally. Um, to people, I said, if any of you have any connections at the IRS, now is the time to use them. We need somebody to look at our application. And November 6th, they approved our 501c3. Woo-hoo. So it didn't even take a year. It didn't even take six months. That's incredible. I really believe that, you know, those kinds of things, I believe in magic and I believe there are no accidents and that the synchronicity of all of this is flowing. It's all going to happen when it's supposed to. I just keep having to to surrender it, I guess. But I do know it's a collective vision, and um, and we need the collective to make it happen. So that's beautiful. Can I tell you a secret? What I want to be you when I grow up. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Sounds like you're doing some good work too. <laughs> You 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 are a little bit further up the mountain than I am, and it's very inspiring. Oh, thank you. I appreciate hearing that. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but yeah. I appreciate hearing that. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. It was just lovely to talk to you. Mara Williams talks about what she thinks is wrong with the healthcare system, and I have to say I agree with her. Well, you're in good company. <laughs> yeah. Well, with you, it's interesting. Well, I think it's interesting because as an acupuncturist, you you deal a lot with people who who it's their last hope. You you've dealed you deal I with am people. I'm Obi Wan Kenobi of the healthcare field. Yes, you are. You're, you deal with people who are uh, who are they're frustrated. Yes. They're, they're, they're frustrated. Grumpy and frustrated with with Western medicine. That's right. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, "Oh, I think I'll get needles stuck in with me." No, they only come to me after they have been through everything, and their options are: well, we, there's nothing we can do. Uh, that's option A. Option B is, well, we want to put you on these drugs with these wonderful side effects, and they're not happy with option B. And option C sometimes is surgery. So it's not they, – they're not happy with their options. And they have to be a little bit grumpy in general and still want to fix things. Some people just give up hope, and they don't make it into my door. The grumpy people, they make it into my door. And you're right. They're grumpy with me. They're grumpy with health care. They want to get help. And it's hard for them sometimes. Yeah. I mean, when I was in college, all of my, it seemed like all of my friends were on some form of 
either anti-anxiety medication or anti-depression medication. It's amazing how many young people have trouble with anxiety and depression. Yeah. And they've been, you know, these are 18 to 21-year-old girls and they've yeah, been sad, on these it? they've been on these medications for years and I would still hear them talk about, "Oh, I'm on such and such medication and I still feel and like so were crap." So, helping them? No, I mean they would they would come back from break and they would say, "Oh, I've seen my psychiatrist," and she said, "Oh, uh, we'll try such and such, uh, a, a completely different medication." So, not only w- can't they- imagine going through classes kind of on psychiatric drugs, no. stoned half the time. They they would um, one of the fun uh, lunch. <laughs> One of the fun lunch conversations was how their side effects were affecting them. Well, so, what kind of side effects did they have? Well, one of the one of the most common side effects that I would hear about is fatigue. Really? So they they would they wouldn't have energy to kind of do anything. They, these are college age girls, right? These are no college. Energy? These are college age girls. So, how they make it through the day? You know what? I have no idea how they did it. Uh, Did they use other drugs? Not to my knowledge, other than normal caffeine. Oh, so coffee. Yeah. They coffeeed up. Yeah, but everybody does that, so you can't. So even you did that? (laughs) Oh, I learned to like coffee by the end of my school years. (laughs) All right. So did you ever put butter on your coffee? Uh, No. No. We'll we'll have to turn you on to uh, bulletproof coffee. (laughs) All right, that wraps up today's show. And to get in touch with us, please friend us on Facebook, and you just search Lime Ninja Radio on Facebook, and you'll find that. Uh, You can find us and subscribe on iTunes, and please rate us on iTunes. iTunes, leave a five-star rating if you think we're worth five stars, and if not, well, give us what you think we're worth. The other thing, if you have feedback for us, uh, suggestions for guests or a way to improve the show, what's the email, Aurora? It's feedback at com. Fabulous. Uh, you can also find us on Stitcher for you non-iPhone people. And lastly, we do have a website where all the show notes will be. You can get all the information about Mara and her projects, what she's up to. And the website address is... It is LimeNinjaRadio.com. We try to keep things very simple. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.